0: We're going to march forward in our Advent series. We have uh, this Sunday, we have next Sunday, and then we have Christmas Eve where we will finish uh, the series out. Where we're taking these themes uh, that I think for us are, uh, they're always beneficial. Sometimes they appear or seem more beneficial because of maybe where our minds have been and where our hearts have been. And so we just kind of have to slow down. And uh, one of my hopes always, one of our hopes as a church is that when we get together... Uh, that we're able to think about the right things, even if just for a little while. You know, that we just kind of get this moment to go, oh yeah, that's what's true. And and so these resets that we always need, and going back to the Lord, and going to His Word, and taking communion, and being together, these are significant for how we operate day to day. You heard Hannah read it in the video. We're looking for the theme of joy we're going to look at Luke chapter 2 as we do that. Luke chapter 2, 8 through 14. It reads like this And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. The angel said to them, Fear not. and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Pray with me. God, what good news we are able to comprehend this morning because of your grace to us. Good news that was preached to the shepherds. It is preached to us, and it does bring us great joy. Thank you for that. Ignite joy within us this morning. Teach us what it means to be a joyful people. We need this. Show us in your word what you would have for us this morning, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So a pretty familiar passage even if you like like any if you drive like down my street or like in my neighborhood, we see like trumpets, you know, off of trees and they make like this is just not an uncommon scene. Uh, that even people this morning, if this is you this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, like this is still probably a scene that you've heard before. Uh, an idea that you're familiar with, where there's these angels and there's these trumpets and there's this noise and they're singing, you know, "Glory to God in the highest." Like the, these phrases are, they're sometimes they they, they just feel cultural, they're coming right from Luke two. But they just feel like it's just part of our uh, the way we talk and the way we operate during the Christmas season. But we're going to go a little in, into it a little more this morning. I, I, I you know maybe I'm on a movie kick, movie scene kick because it's the holidays and whatever. Um, and you can tell a lot from a person about a person when they talk about the movies that they like, or the movies that they admit they like, which is a little different. Like if we're taught, I'll tell you what I like, like in this context, but don't look at my next Netflix history, you know that kind of thing. Or like, there's movies I like and there's movies I watch. So here's one. Dan in real life, yes, it is a rom com. Okay, I know that. And you just got to give me a little grace on that one. Because it has Steve Carell in it. Thank you. A widowed father trying to get by while his daughters are growing up. And they do, all, of course, on like a family little get-together. Like, you know, remember when we used to do that? And I go travel and go see family. And they're all in this house together. And I believe it's his middle daughter has a love interest. But dad doesn't want her to have anything to do with this guy. And it, I, I don't have daughters. But I would assume a father with daughters is pretty particular about the guys who might show up in her life. And so he wants to have nothing to do with it. Well, he, this uh, boyfriend, sneaks in to the family gathering. And, of course, Steve Carell, the widowed father, sees it and breaks it up rather quickly quickly. And then there's this hyperbolic statement that is made by the daughter, which I remember so clearly because it's fun and sometimes we throw it around at even our house, but the daughter looks at the dad and screams at him, you are a murderer of love! (laughs) Remember the scene, a murderer of love? It's quite graphic language. (laughs) But at the same time, we kind of relate to it. We can relate to the idea that we get a certain level of satisfaction or fulfillment even from the relationships that we're in, that they bring us something. Now, now, don't hate on that idea. We're relational. God has created us to be relational people. And so the fact that relationships bring us a certain level of stability, happiness, or joy shouldn't be that weird of a thing. And when those are removed from our lives, even ripped from our lives, it can cause a rather significant tear in us that you may not recover from. Now, a high schooler is saying, you're a murderer of love. Maybe she's in middle school. I don't even know. But the meaningful relationships in our lives, when they are taken, it changes something in us, doesn't it? It changes something. And many of you, maybe even this Advent season, where remember we're remembering the arrival of Jesus, and we look to the, the second coming of Jesus into this world, maybe maybe you're realizing even right now, during this season, that you feel differently. That you feel differently. Normally when we feel bugged, we, we may not want to do a little, too much work. One, because it's hard, and also because we don't know what might show up if we just kind of feel off. Like, why am I bothered? Sometimes we do like the heart work and we try to figure out what's really going on. Like, is there sin? Is there something in me? Is there that I do something? Is the relationship somewhere strained? So we might not want to actually track that down because we get bugged. But I bet, if there's that in you, that part of it might very well be relational. That maybe you're used to large gatherings and people together, and like that's just not a part of what's going on for many right now. Maybe you maybe you're not seeing the people that you'd usually see, or around the people that you love like you're usually around them. Maybe that's something that has changed for you, and and you feel maybe a little hollow, like something it's like something doesn't fit right. Now I, I just want to invite you to go. That's actually probably true that if you feel that way, there's likely a reason it's because we're we're operating in this kind of prolonged way that isn't it's a reminder of sin in this world and it isn't the way that the Lord has created us to operate but in the recognition of sin in the world and disease in the world and the consequences of that like it, it becomes an acute way of us to realize that this is odd and 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 we all kind of we all kind of respond to it differently don't we we all We all handle it differently. Like some of us act like nothing's going on because it helps us. Some of us act like everything's going on. Like 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 we're all kind of trying to figure out how do we live in the way that God's created us when clearly we can't. Or I want to live a certain way and you don't, or you do and I don't, and we we try to figure out like how the pieces fit together and they're not fitting like they usually do. Well, there's good news, and we get to see it in the passage this morning, with Luke 2 as our guide, that there is a relationship that is unchanging. There is a truth for us that actually brings us great joy and satisfaction and meaning that doesn't change, that is abiding, and that's what we get to see today. You heard the passage, we've had it read, Hannah read it, I read it, Luke 2, 8-14, Many Christmas books this time of year, if you read them, have this in them. The announcement is there. It's the most significant birth announcement that's ever shown up. Right? Like, like we make our hundred cards and send them out when a baby is born. Well, the angels, right? Jesus gets angels singing. We don't get that. We just kind of let our budget decide who gets to know we had a baby and Facebook. But as we go through the passage, I wanted to just start by us realizing or looking at the different responses that these people make to the news. Like, there's, like, like everyone's trying to figure out, this is all new stuff, and everybody's reacting in certain ways. So we're going to see how the shepherds react, and the angel reacts, and then the host reacts, and then kind of go, okay, well then what do we do with that? What do we do with that? Because we don't recreate the birth of Jesus, but the way that people are responding do give us some enduring things to hold on to. So the first response is just in the first two verses. Jesus, the Messiah, has been born not too far away. But few people are aware. They don't know. And the shepherds are there in verses 8 and 9. And they have a response to this news. And their response is fear at first. Fear. Which is not usually the, new, like, like the way we associate Life in Christ, right? That Jesus is here. Ah, like, like but, but, as the announcement is about to be made to them, the shepherds don't have a category in which to place what is going on, and they actually respond with fear. Verses eight and nine. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. While shepherds watch, you no, know, the, the hymn maybe. Uh, their flock by night. Right. Andrew Peterson rewrote the melody, so you might think that he's the first one to write it like that, but. It, Anyways, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled, filled with great fear. They feared mega, mega fear. Now the same region means near where Bethlehem was. And the shepherds were minding their business. You have to watch your flock even at night. You have to tend to them. And an angel appeared. Now, if you go back through Luke and count the amount of times Christ's birth narrative has angelic pronouncements, you'd be impressed. Because it even it starts with John the Baptist. It doesn't start with Jesus. But, but there are all kinds of declarations made by angels throughout the beginning of Luke. And there are many times, or not many times in Scripture, where there's an angelic announcement regarding a birth. Back, John the Baptist and Jesus give us two of the ones I know about, and then there's Isaac, and there's Samson, the judge. Beyond those four people, I'm unsure if there's another time in Scripture where there's an angelic pronouncement in relation to them being born. Isaac, Samson, John the Baptist, and Jesus. So already this is kind of special, right? Like you're in pretty special company. And so it would make sense then that the angels really, or I'm sorry, the shepherds have no real idea what's going on here because it doesn't happen. We don't have angels show up. Now maybe you in this room go, oh yeah, that's totally what would happen. Like I get it. So I suppose their response makes sense fear. Now, sometimes we think of fear as reverence. Like, oh, right, like your eminence. Like, we, we, we think of fear as reverence. And so whenever we read it, and we have this way of doing this when we read the Bible, is that we just kind of associate however we think the word means like with what's going on. Oh, I think that means reverence. So they had great reverence. And I don't think that's the case here. They feared greatly. I think they were freaked out at what they were experiencing. I mean, have you ever even just had a dream, and something in the dream is happening that has never happened before, and you wake up, and you're breathing heavily? Like, you're having this physiological response to whatever the dream was, you're like, <gasps> the other morning, kids always find their way into our bed at some point in time at the night, and we're not one of those boundaryed parents, we're like, go to bed, you know, like, we're just like, oh, we're too tired, so we're just like, fine, make room, whatever, right, like, just don't bother us. And I could hear one of my kids having a scary dream, and I could tell by, (gasps) like, asleep, but breathing really heavily. And so, you know, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up. And there's, like, that release, but something's going on in you. And so they feared greatly. Well, why might they fear greatly? They're experiencing something that they've never seen before, and there's this idea, the angel of the Lord appears, and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. So their fear, because the angel's there, and there's this glory of the Lord there. Now sometimes, and we have a, a kind of a tendency to do this in church life, or when we're teaching, we go, oh yeah, the glory of the Lord, like I know exactly what that is. I'm like, you know exactly what the glory of the Lord is? I don't think you do, because if you saw it, I bet you'd freak out too, right? It's, it's something that doesn't happen, <laughs> It's something that we don't see. It's not something that we experience, you know? It's like Isaiah in his prophecy, Isaiah 6, like we see some kind of idea, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. Like we we have these ideas on on how it might be and his train filled the room, but like we don't have a category for the glory of the Lord shown around. We don't know what that is. So I, I used this kind of language before. It was taught to me by a beloved seminary professor, Stanley Toussaint. He's gone to be with the Lord since then. But he's like, the glory of God is anything that makes God seen. That that's really the glory of God. And, and, and I thought that was a really helpful way. I think he was taking that from Charles Ryrie even. So now this is like third generation you're hearing. it. Anything that makes God seen. It makes him evident. So when you're singing about God, what are you doing? You're glorifying him with your words. You're, 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 you're declaring aspects of his nature Uh, when you're rejoicing because you've learned something about God you're glorifying him by making some aspect of him seen or some part of of the joy that you have from being in relationship with him it's being seen and so the the glory of the Lord clearly it was shining so whatever was going on with this angel was bringing the presence and, and recognition of God to them in such a way that it spooked them They mega feared the significance of his presence is being experienced. You might have heard before that kind of in the Old Testament, the word for glory is a word that has to do with weighty, weightiness, heaviness, that like if you drop a feather in a pool, it doesn't really do much. But if you drop a bowling ball, it's going to displace it differently. Why? Because it's heavier, right? And and so like in Old Testament, it might be like it has more glory. It has more significance to it. And everything changes when you experience that significance, which is what is happening there. Think about this. Have you ever been, like, it's funny how we all all are usually used to these personal cues in life. So maybe you have a motion detector light in your house at night that never goes on. It just stays off most of the time, but then maybe you're lying in bed and it comes on. And you've, you've become so accustomed over night after night after night after night after week after month after year of that never coming on. That when it comes on, right, your heart beats a little faster. What is that? What's going on? Is it a cat, right? Like our neighbor's cats are always at our house, on our roof, on our cars. Like, is it, is it, did the cat do it? Did this happen? When something unknowingly changes, right, we just kind of become used to, well, this is how we watch Shepherds at night. There's fear. And I want just briefly to say this. I think we, Christians today, lose this aspect of God, the, the, the significant and immense weight that he has. That we forget that he is not like us, that he is not small. That he is not insignificant. That he can't be forgotten. That nothing happens without his okay. That we miss out on the weightiness, the heaviness of God. That the first thing we do when we see Jesus is not to high-five him because he's our buddy, but to bow because he's our Lord. And we often kind of live in the, in the playful aspect of it. And I, and I want you to have that, but to not ever lose the complete differentness of God. <laughs> that he is not, I made up a word for you there, that he is not the same That when he shows up, it's different for everybody. Fear is that response, yes. But the angel did not want them to stay there. In verses 10, 11, and 12, we see the response, which happens throughout Scripture, where somebody's freaking out because God is doing something, and then they come back with, don't fear. The angel said to them, fear not. I know you're scared, but don't have fear. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The angel says to the shepherds not to have this feeling. Do not have this fear, like you aren't sure what's going to happen. The angel brings a comfort, though. And the comfort is joy. Fear not. Fear not for... Because I bring you news of great joy. So don't live in fear. I bring you news of great joy. The angel's comfort is to hear this news of great joy. And the joy is not just circumstantial, is it? It's not just based on... You know, hey, you know, hey, news of great joy, right? Like basketball season is about to begin, and the Rockets might might win. Like, hold out, you know, Jacob. Right, we're, we're ready, man. Whoever's traded, whatever happens, like you know, this is the year. It's how we feel every year, and then we're disappointed. Joy is not circumstantial; it's abiding because God doesn't change. God's salvation has come near, and there should be joy. In fact, if you look just through a couple of references of joy in the Gospel of Luke, he's often going to connect the concept of joy with your salvation. Joy and salvation are linked in Luke. For example, you know the the, the stories, the parables, where somebody loses something of uh, significant value and then finds it, and they rejoice. That when somebody comes to faith, there's rejoicing. For example, this is is again the same idea as Luke 15, 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There will be more joy. Just a few verses later, Luke 15, 10. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Then after the resurrection and ascension, ascension, right at the end of Luke, Luke writes this, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Luke 24, 52. Jesus is a joy bringer. But joy comes through connection to him. Sometimes, maybe maybe you heard it, If, if you exist in churches long enough, you get to hear all the acronyms just kind of a thing we do. We make acronyms. It's, our, it's, our, it's like our calling card. Christians make acronyms. Preachers use it. Alliteration and acronyms are our A word for thing, whatever, are our thing. So you've heard joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, yourself. Like that's how you have joy. Jesus first, then others, and then yourself. That's helpful, right? Yeah, sure. Like if I want to be joyful at Jesus first, then others, and myself, spell it out. It could be a helpful way to remember it, but I think in this sense, we need to realize that it really comes in relationship to our salvation. That joy is the otherworldly response to being connected to God by faith. That it is something that cannot be manufactured, it is something that cannot be dreamt up, it is something that we cannot go to the store and buy. It is something that only comes through being connected to God through faith. When the angel comes in and says, Do not fear, for I bring you news of great joy. A Savior has been born to you. So joy, it's like joy has this special avenue from heaven to us through Jesus. That it's not just by looking around. It's not by how many friends and family might be around us during this Christmas season. It's not by murderers of love. It's not by parents who don't want us to date so and so. It's not by any of those things. That true and abiding gospel of Luke joy comes through relationship with Jesus. You can have great joy because salvation has arrived. You can rejoice because salvation is here, and this is the great thing: is that we so often do use joy as circumstantial, often connecting it with our happiness, and so we just conflate these two ideas together. I'm just so happy; I just feel I just feel really good right now. Everything's humming. You know, job's going great, family's going great, I got no problems, life's good, everything's perfect, I'm totally joyful. Like, well, you based all of those things on what's going on for you, rather than what God has done for you. Now, fear might come when you aren't sure who God is or what God is doing. but you're now realizing that he's real. And that might happen. In fact, you can read sometimes testimonies of people who when the the weight and significance of God is becoming real to them and the significance of their sin, not that it has not existed prior, but it's starting to show up or be felt in new ways, that there's this response. But God doesn't want you to live there. Even the revelation or the illumination of our own sin and just how bad off we are without him. Even as that puts on us this significant weight, the Lord is right there to say, no, rejoice. For in Christ we can have life. And that is a cause of great joy. Now, if you are in a relationship with Jesus this morning, that can't be taken from you. They can't be taken from you. Your job can be taken from you. In some places of the world, we don't feel it as strongly, but in some places of the world, their family is taken from them because of their relationship with Jesus. Their church leaders are taken from them. In fact, as the early church was growing, persecution would also come after the bishops, the leaders of groups of churches first, because the thought was, if you kill the leader, everyone else is scared and won't act out inappropriately. What, I guess, maybe what might not have been expected is that these leaders often gladly gave their bodies up for the cause of Jesus. You can read their stories about how they're going, and they're telling their congregants, don't come after me, don't try to save me, don't mess this thing up. Like, I'll go where God sends me, even if that's to be destroyed. So you might, you might not have your job, you might not have your family, you might not have your house, you might not have your possessions. Remember in Hebrews, when author of Hebrews talks about the people who are joyfully taking the plundering of their property? They just gladly let their stuff get taken from them. Repossessed. Americans don't really have a category for that because it infringes upon our rights, but we're citizens of a different kingdom. We don't have the same rights. We have better ones because we have a category for life in Christ that doesn't mean stuff and things and family and fun and everything like I want it. That can st- we can have none of those things and still have great joy. Because salvation has come for all people. All people. For me, for you, for them, the way we talk about it. Now They love what happens next. It's almost as if in this moment, the news has been declared, right? The shepherds are freaking out. The news has been declared, and then after the birth announcement, right after that moment where the news, the great joy that a Savior has been born, it's for all people, and you'll go find Him, all of a sudden, all these other angels show up and they s- sing, <laughs> they, they declare <laughs> together. Like, when you hear this news, you can't help but do something about it. And what happens is praises to God that the angelic hosts sing. Look at that. The response is praise in verses 13 and 14. And suddenly, and suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth... Peace among those with whom he is pleased. You might read, among, uh, among those with whom his favor rests. Something like that. So follow the flow here. The shepherds see the glory of the Lord as the angels there, and they fear. The angel says, fear not, for I bring you news of great joy. A Savior has been born. And then immediately, there is praise. Praise. Immediately, suddenly, it's like the heavens rip open, and there's just singing. This happens, though. This happens with the song of Moses. There's like victory. There's a song in the book of Judges, Judges chapter four. Deborah has. There's this battle, and Israel's enemies are defeated. In Judges chapter 4, and in Judges chapter 5, there's a song about it. That after these movements of God, there's almost like this, what do we do with it? And it's like, just talking isn't enough. It needs, it needs, it needs a different meter. It needs a different way of communicating. It needs to, we need to move our voices more. We need, we need to have things that might rhyme or be more memorable. It's like, in these moments where there's this great declaration of God, this great demonstration of who he is, like there's this response of, we got to do something. It's not enough just to say it was cool. We need new words, new language, new melody, new song. We need new for this. And what happens? Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest. You'll find these throughout scripture where there's a moment where God does something in a response in song. Response in poetry. And it's funny if you even read in the New Testament, whenever you see kind of the, the, the offset type, it's often the translator is trying to say this is this, this was different. Even if you get into Philippians, you'll see the type of your Bible is often offset. Where they go, we, we think that this was maybe an early, an early way that the church was trying to remind themselves of the truths of God. It was an early way that they would try and, and sing it or remember it. You know how uh, we sing at the end of our services, right? The doxology. right? Those kinds of languages. are just statements of praise that you will remember that will stay within you. And what's funny is the phrase, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom his favor rests. Or among whom he is pleased. I don't have to look at my Bible to, to say that. They stay differently within you. As you look at this phrase, I like the flow of it too, because the first place, the first direction of the praise is to God. Right? Glory to God. And the direction's important because our worship, the most joyful and life-giving worship which we can participate in, comes when we get the focus off of ourselves and on our God who saves. I, am not, I don't have a problem with worship songs that use the word I. Sometimes we're like, well, I counted the amount of times you said I, and it's this, don't, I don't have a problem with that. because I could say this, I can't believe you're so good, right? You can use the word I and still have it be declaring who God is. And then sometimes we just don't have language for it. We just have to to say it. What are the Psalms, right? It wasn't like David was going, I want to write a song for everybody. Like often he was writing from his own experience. And then it was that like the community of faith goes, that's our experience. We need that language. But if our attention, our gaze, our look and praise is not first upon God, if it's first on us, then we miss out on what really is life-giving. Because isn't the world crying out that you would focus on you? What do you want? What do you want for Christmas? What What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want in a church? What would make you happier? What would make you gladder? What would make you like things more? What would make you like me more? How could I dress? Like everything is, is all about how can I make life better? How could I make life better for you? How could I do this? And just this moment where we get to come together on a Sunday, or for those of you who are joining us online, it's a rainy day and we can all make it out, like we get to take a moment and say, this time right here is actually not about me. And I, oddly enough, this is kind of ironic, isn't it, that I get so overjoyed when I can spend some time not focused on me. God's like, tricked you. You're actually more glad when your focus isn't on yourself. That's how it works. Jesus teaches on these kind of juxtapositions all the time, that the one who wants to be first is going to be last, but the one who's going to be last is going to be first, We hear this language in the scriptures. Greater love is none than this than someone who lays down his life for his friends. Jesus is always flipping it on us. And praise does the same. That I'm no more delighted and joyful than when I remember who God is. And I don't worry about where I am but that second part is there isn't it peace glory to god and peace we talked about peace already didn't we those who walk with god get the peace with god and get the peace of god so praise god and peace on you <laughs> now we're thinking about this advent season the arrival of god And we've spoken about this idea in two ways. We talk about it in relation to Christ coming into the world. We talk about it in relation to Christ coming again into this world. To this point, these Sundays, we've talked about hope, peace, and joy. You have the candles behind me. Hope, peace, joy. Love's coming, and then Christ on Christmas Eve. How do we experience joy then? We experience joy when we are in relationship with the life giver, Jesus. By being rightly related to God, we have something new and it cannot be taken away. No murderer of love. Joy comes when we realize that we can be rightly related to God. Or we realize that we have been rightly related to God through faith in Jesus. Nobody can take it. It's ours. By God's grace. And so just take a breath. Wherever you are, you're listening at home. You are loved by God. You are loved so much that he sent his son into the world. Where He could have crushed you because of your sins, He instead died for you. And now, you can have life. <clears throat> that salvation, even the news of salvation to us, brings joy and leads to praise. These two ideas Bringing joy and leading to praise results from rightly understanding what God has done for us. What is happening in Luke at this point is the continuation of what God has been doing from the beginning. He is bringing his creation back into relationship with him. But in this part of salvation history, and by that I mean the way God is relating and saving his people throughout time chronologically as we see it. Time is different to God. God. He's bringing the Son of God more fully into picture. And when you enter into this relationship with Jesus through faith, things change. So how can we continue to remember the news of great joy? The arrival of Jesus into this world, how can we do this? I think a simple way is to meditate. By that, think about. Spend time slowly thinking about who God is and what he has done. And actively, this is kind of your part, pursue that connection by reading his words, speaking with others, discussing his salvation. It is always easier to talk about things that don't matter. And I like talking about, you know, are the Rockets going to trade James Harden or not? Like, I like that conversation. I think the answer is yes. But, shouldn't we talk about things that last a little more? Things that matter a little more? Shouldn't that be a more common part of our conversation? Praying for one another and encouraging one another. Hearing what's going on. Aren't there enough places for you to get fluff? We don't really need to add more to it. I want to do a little exercise. I'm going to read to you seven verses. They're not going to be behind me. Not going to take notes. Just want you to listen to these seven verses. And consider what the Lord has done. Those in Christ are raised up alive and saved by grace. To meditate on what God has done for you, you could read those seven verses every day, every hour. You could set a reminder to read them every half hour. You will not wring all the value from them if you did that for now and for the rest of your life. You won't tire of it. To remember what Jesus has done. To meditate upon what he has done. To remember where you were and how he brought you into new life. And I would also encourage you to do this. Find ways to daily praise that reality. How you pray, how you sing, how you discuss, that you share. Because it's good news for all people not just for us, for everyone. For your family who doesn't know Jesus, for your neighbors that you've been praying for for months and for years, for the people that you work with, for the person in the cubicle beside you that you've just been going, Lord, what can you do? It is good news for all people. So we remember what God has done. And we start Using our words to talk about it, to sing about it, to write about it, to declare it. Because even in doing that, it helps us to remember. Joy is absolutely relational, it is relational. the reason the joy of the Lord can last is because it comes through our relationship with Him that we have something that won't leave Christ the Son who died for us who gives us life who's alive today news of great joy Genesis we do have news of great joy You do not need to fear. You can know God and be with God because God has come to you in Jesus.